Well, today we want to continue in our study of uh, the book of Acts, and we are in the 11th chapter, and uh, we uh, left off right in the middle of the second part of the uh, 11th uh, of the 11th chapter. So just to uh, uh, reiterate uh, where we're at, in case you uh, missed it last week, uh, that uh, the story of Cornelius now is over, of Peter bringing the good news to Gentiles. And Luke has brought out just how important this is and, and how this was uh, a very radical thing that, uh, that people besides Jewish people and besides proselytes, you know, could hear the message and believe and come under the kingship of the God of Israel, of the Davidic kingship. Uh, and uh, uh, and now uh, we see that in the thematically, what Luke is doing is he now is beginning to talk about the good news moving outward besides Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria uh, to the remotest part of the earth. Of course, we're in the remotest part of the earth uh, from the point of view of the scriptures, but here uh, we're keyed in on Antioch. Uh, Antioch, which uh, exists today. It's in uh, Syria. And uh, we talked a little bit about the background of, uh, of Antioch and, uh, and how many people were coming to know the Messiah. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the uh, apostles hear about it, you know, in Jerusalem. Uh, and they decide to send an emissary to see what's going on in Antioch. So who do they send? They send Barnabas. Uh, they send Barnabas. And we might remember Barnabas. He uh, shows up a couple of different times. He was a wealthy, a, a generous uh, man uh, who was a believer. We read about him in Acts chapter 4. Uh, in verses 36 and 37, it says, now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, that's important. He was from Cyprus. And uh, we read that people were coming to know the Lord in Cyprus and elsewhere. And so they send someone who was from Cyprus to Antioch. You know, they were very practical. They, you know, uh, it made sense to send someone who might be somewhat like-minded uh, uh, with the people at Antioch. So they send uh, Barnabas. They might have also said him because they knew his demeanor. They knew he was a kind man. They knew that he was a man of grace and of mercy. Uh, and it would, re uh, you know, he's the kind of person we might call a connector. You know, uh, he was a, he was a person, the right person is sent to Antioch because he would be able to convey a unity with the with the Judean believers, you know, and with the apostles. Uh, and this uh, was very important. So anyway, we read uh, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' uh, feet. Uh, and then we also read about him in Acts chapter 9, that Barnabas is the one that uh, took Paul, who people were not quite sure about, you know, uh, couldn't know, didn't know if they could trust him after Paul, with such a terrible reputation, comes to know the Messiah, 
and comes to Jerusalem, it is Barnabas who accompanies him. And Barnabas gives him entree, uh, you know, to the uh, rest of the apostles. In Acts 9.27, we read, But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in, in the name of uh, Yeshua. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever met anybody like Barnabas, but wouldn't it be nice if people weren't quite sure about you, that someone went out of their way and was welcoming to you and like brought you in and was your entree? You really appreciate those kind of people. And that is what Barnabas was. I think one of the things about Barnabas that really stands out uh, is that he was a real people person. He cared about people deeply and in the, in the context of the work that God was doing. Uh, and, uh, and I think that uh, Barnabas is, he's very famous, but, but you, know, you don't read about him all the way through the book of Acts, only in a few places. And uh, we will see that uh, he plays a very important role in, not only did he, did he play an important role in bringing Paul to meet the apostles in Jerusalem, but he also is the one who brings him to Antioch. And at the beginning, as we'll see in the 12th chapter, it is the congregation at Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas. And actually what it will say is Barnabas and Saul. And the words and the word order have meaning. Because at the beginning, it is Barnabas who is the, the, the main character. Uh, but like we said about the metaphor of playing football. Uh, you know what Barnabas ends up being? Barnabas ends up being not the guy carrying the ball, but the blocker. Uh, he is a team player. It was not about Barnabas. He did not have to be front and center. He did not have to uh, uh, you know, get up and even say anything. But we, what we read more about what he said is what he did. And that's very interesting. Although what we're going to see here in chapter 11 is also something that, that he said uh, that will uh, pause and that will be very helpful uh, uh, to us. So they send Barnabas. Uh, and, uh, and so <clears throat> we, read, uh, we read here um, in verse 23. Okay, so they send Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Uh, last time I kind of passed over this, mentioned it, but uh, I want to say something about it this time. And so first he calls, he sees what has taken place and he calls it the grace of God. He's not looking at it horizontally, he's looking at it vertically. He doesn't just see, wow, this is really great that, you know, Antioch strategically is a very important place. It was the third largest city outside of Rome and Alexandria. So this was very strategic to have a congregation there. But he wasn't so much looking at it strategically as was just the favor of God, you know, the favor of God. And so he had a grid evidently over over everything as, you know, this is the work of God, the work of God. 
And uh, it just tells you something about his heart. So he rejoiced. And then it says, and he began to encourage them, right? The son of encouragement. He was truly a Barnabas here uh, with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Now, that's, that is a great statement. Uh, in the New Covenant, it is translated as purpose, like the purpose of God, the, the purposes of God. It's, it's this word. Uh, and so he encourages them with all purpose of heart to remain true to the Lord. And so, you know, we can ask ourselves this question. You know, I, uh, what about us? I, uh, you know, do we have, are we purposeful of heart to remain true to the Lord? In other words, uh, as Messiah followers, do we sort of see it as, well, this is a way of life and, you know, it's enriching and it's, and, you know, and, and it's good and it's helpful and there are great promises of God. But do we think in terms of taking initiative to maintain my walk with God and to advance it? Do I take the initiative? Do I take the initiative to be in the word of God? Do I take the initiative to pray? Am I purposeful in heart to fulfill what God has called me to do? What is God doing? And that's what I want to be involved in. Or do we see it just as uh, adding something enriching to the rest of my life that helps me be a better me, you know? Or am I purposeful in what God has called me uh, indeed to be and to remain true to him? You know, in the first century, it was not easy being a Messiah follower. In the 21st century, it is not easy being a Messiah follower. In the first century, there was a lot of things to distract people. In the 21st century, there's a lot of things to distract people. In the first century, there was persecution. It was not the norm to be a Messiah follower. In the 21st century anymore, it is not the norm uh, to follow the way of the Lord. And so I hope that we are purposeful in, in our hearts. And, you know, during these days when we are kind of stuck at home for large portions of time, this is a great opportunity for us to really uh, grow that way, to take personal responsibility and not say to myself, well, what is Beth Messiah doing for me? What is, what is Beth Messiah doing for me? I, we're not having uh, services in person. What's the congregation doing for me? Maybe we ought to think, uh, is this a time for me to stand on my own two feet and be like the rabbi or spiritual congregational leader of my family uh, and take that responsibility or lead my family or engage with whoever my household is in a prayer? I, you know, in uh, reciting the Shema or the Amidah. I, and I think that it, it and I think that it is a, a great opportunity for us, you know, in that way. And so, what is Barnabas doing here? He's encouraging them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. I, and uh, uh, then it says, "Why does he do this?" This is great. In verse, because he was a good man. <laughs> He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I said this last time. This is the only place where you read he was a good man. You know, it's, it's quite a statement to make. 
Uh, and it says, in considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. You know, in a, this is a great discipleship passage about, you know, how do I, uh, if I meet with somebody who's kind of a newer, more of a newer Messiah follower, newer believer in Yeshua than me, what do I say? You know, I, what I think it is, it's about encouragement. It's about encouragement and, and sharing how to take that initiative, how to uh, grow in your walk with the Lord, uh, how to uh, be a stronger believer. And, and that is about learning how to study the Bible or study reading together. When I meet with people, you know what I like to do? I like to just read the Bible together. Just read the Bible together and pause along the way and make comments. Uh, but it all depends. Sometimes uh, it's just about talking about a particular issue or something that is going on. Sometimes uh, there is a little study you can do where it's like, a, you know, you answer questions in a booklet or something like that. There's all different ways. But the point of it is, it's really all about Yeshua and the resurrection and understanding how to walk further uh, uh, with him. And so we see that considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Now, Barnabas also, he was a, a strategist of sorts, not just a people person, because he realized that, uh, you know, I'm the only person here that can really uh, be uh, evidently uh, teaching the people and leading the people. And so what does he do? He goes to Tarsus. It's about 100 miles away. I mean, it was a journey. And he finds Paul. And as I said last time, I think uh, that there are some who believe that, that during this period of time, which was approximately at least 14 years, between 14 and 17 years after Paul went to Tarsus, after that first visit to Jerusalem, that uh, he may have started some of these congregations or been an influencer in some of these places. So Paul, so I, I, Barnabas looks for Saul. I need to continue to call him Saul because we'll see in a few chapters why that's important. I, that uh, he goes to look for Saul. Notice, you know, I think it's interesting to go to look for Saul. He's not quite sure if he, he doesn't know if he's going to even be there, right? But that's where he went to. So he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year, they met with that congregation and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Okay, so this is, uh, this is uh, very interesting uh, and important to understand. First, so he brings them to Antioch. And so for a whole year, they met with the believers. Uh, now, the word church, ecclesia, I, I, in our world, and this verse is a real teachable moment for us on several different levels. The word church is filled with, the English word church is filled with baggage, filled with baggage, I, and has really uh, left the moorings of its original meaning. And so that's why we don't uh, self-identify with it because of all of the baggage. It basically means, in our world, it basically means a non-Jewish place of worship. <laughs> you know, uh, a non-Jewish, non-Muslim place of worship. 
all right? And, uh, I, and I'm not so, so sure that's how we want to self-identify, right? Right. But it's a, the ecclesia, it's a, an assembly and used of uh, Messianic Jews. And I know that our VSS uh, speaker is going to be talking about this. He wrote a whole book on it. Henry, of course, has been sharing that uh, with us. Uh, but they met with the whole assembly there and taught considerable numbers. Uh, so it takes time. They met for a year. It wasn't like they had two meetings and then amazing things happened and then they went on, right? So I'm sure over that year, there was good weather, there was bad weather. Sometimes people were in a good mood. Sometimes people were not in a good mood. Day in, day out, meeting with, me meeting with people. But the end result is, is that Barnabas and Saul poured themselves into these people and they grew and, and they flourished uh, as a, a congregation. And then you have, the sentence could end there, but then you have this little uh, additional part where it says that the disciples were first called Christians uh, at Antioch. So there's some kind of, there's some interesting things uh, about this. Now it says the disciples were first, were, were called Christians at Antioch. We know that it wasn't until the second century that the believers in Messiah began, at least in writing, at least in writing, began to self-identify using this term, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't self-identify earlier, but probably this became the reputation of the Messiah followers at Antioch. That, and, and the word is very interesting because uh, it is uh, a word with a, it's a Greek, uh, uh, a Greek beginning and a Latin ending. Uh, much like, you know how um, those who identified uh, with, uh, uh, with a, a Herod community were called Herodians, right? Uh, and so the ones who identified with Messiah using the Greek word uh, 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 Christians, you see, uh, were identified with the Messiah. Now, I think this is very interesting, and there's a, a real important lesson here. So in the very beginning, uh, these were Greek-speaking people, so that's the word they were going to use, right? But evidently, the reputation of this congregation were people who identified with this person who was called Messiah, right? Here I have to use the Greek word, the, the, the Greek word. This person who was identified with, uh, with Christ or Christus, okay? Uh, and that is important. That was their, that's how they were known. Their, their reputation was is that they were identified not with Barnabas, they're not called Barnabasians, right? They're not called Antiochians. Uh, they're not called Pauluses, right? In fact, later on, Paul is going to address this in 1 Corinthians, this kind of thinking. That who is it that the people are identified with? They're identified with Yeshua. And they're known, that's like their reputation. There's a lot to learn from that. Now, we do, we do not use that term. Why? Because nomenclature is important. Words are symbols that have real meaning. And so we would say Messiah followers. 
Messiah followers, those who are not part of the Messianic movement, oftentimes these days like to use Christ followers uh, identified with Messiah, identified with Christ, or identified with Messiah. Now we would not use a, a you know a Christian or Christ. We don't use the word church, right? And it's not just some kind of real uh, kind of a uh, anomaly or kind of a something that is um, a, um, a um, something unique uh, to to Beth Messiah, and that and that's the word that I use when I'm at Beth Messiah. But you know that for many of us, uh, we identify in 360, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, all the time, uh, as Messiah followers, right? And so very important that we use the word Messianic Jews. The words uh, are very important. And, uh, and not only that, but the simplicity of it. Uh, and, uh, and so there you go. Now, now it is interesting. Why does Luke put it there? It could be just that it's just a little. By the way, this was this was uh, when uh, Messiah followers uh, began to take this name because by the time uh, this was inscriptured, that this evidently was the term that was well known and that was embraced uh, by uh, believers uh, in in Yeshua. But again, uh, I. 21 centuries later, uh, it, you know, it carries a lot of baggage. Uh, uh, and so, therefore, uh, we don't use it. And I think it's important. It's an important moment to actually say that uh, here in our uh, congregation, so that if you ever have the opportunity to uh, read the scriptures, you need to say Messiah, right? It's not like, oops, oh, well, no big deal. It's a big deal. It has to do with self-identity. It has to do with how we self-identify and who we really are. Uh, and so uh, uh, very, very, very important. So now uh, we see now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So now, um, you know, Antioch kind of is on the map and Barnabas and Saul are there. They're teaching, they're they're uh, growing this congregation. They're becoming strong uh, in the Lord. And so now others begin to come to, to Antioch from Jerusalem. Notice they're coming from Jerusalem. Very, very important. Okay. And so uh, one of them is named Agabus. He was a, a prophet uh, and uh, filled with the spirit, of course began to indicate by the Spirit that uh, there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And it's great that Luke puts that it would take place in the reign of Claudius, because it did. And specifically in Judea, we know this, I won't take the time to read the history, but we know because there's a written history of uh, people from Judea going to Egypt around the year 46 and 47, going to buy grain because there was uh, a famine in Judea. Uh, and so we know that's really helpful here about when this is approximately. This is in the late 40s, uh, you know, uh, 46, 47, 48. And, and so it's very helpful, right? 
So then we see, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So they hear about it all over the world, right? They hear about this, this famine that's, that is, uh, will be. And so they, now it's interesting that Agabus does not say that uh, there's going to be a famine all over the world, and I've come to make to take a collection for the uh, brethren in Jerusalem. He doesn't say that. He doesn't make an appeal. He he basically just comes and says there's going to be this famine, but they're in the congregation because they have been discipled correctly, because they have heard the word of God, because uh, they are being taught by Barnabas and Saul that they of themselves evidently individually take responsibility to, to send a portion from all of them. In other words, it's not from all they've collected that the leaders of the congregation have decided to send an offering, no. But the people uh, uh, that uh, it says in, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Uh, and so we see that this congregation in Antioch had this relationship with this congregation in Judea. And, uh, uh, and you see here this unity of Israel and the nations in, in the body of Messiah. It's sort of a great example of what we read later on. Uh, of the middle wall of partition being broken down. Not that the Antioch congregation needed to uh, live uh, Jewishly or uh, that they needed uh, to have uh, more Jews in the congregation, but they saw a need from the, we'll call it the Messianic congregation, uh, you know, in, uh, in Judea, and they had a burden because they're one in Messiah, uh, and uh, now later on, Paul actually does uh, end up uh, teaching on this. We read in uh, Romans, in Romans chapter 15, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessing, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Uh, and so he says, you know, obviously the, the, the good news is this Jewish message that Jews are bringing to the nations. And so now he says about these Gentile congregations that they sense and are taught this responsibility of supporting the Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. We also see it in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, as well, chapter 16. I don't have time to turn there, unfortunately, uh, or to talk any more about it. So uh, what, I'm, what we're going to do is we're actually, uh, the wonderful thing about teaching through the scriptures is you can, you can start right where you left off even if it's not quite, uh, you know, at the end of the story. So uh, we will continue right there, because there's some more things to say about this uh, next time. But uh, may, we, may our takeaway be today 
uh, to be able to really have a burden for pouring ourselves into people's lives like like Barnabas did in, with Saul. And, and also, look how we bring Saul in. You know, if he had left Saul in Tarsus, who knows, the whole story might have been different. But he brings in Saul of Tarsus because he needs him, and they work together. And Barnabas was not about his own reputation or about himself, but about serving. Uh, and, uh, and we see how this congregation has grown, uh, and we see that not only... Uh, uh, have they grown themselves spiritually, but they're concerned for others in terms of outreach. And we'll talk more about that next time. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, our time together today. And we pray, Lord, uh, that uh, you would indeed uh, uh, stir our hearts, Lord, to be resolute in our hearts, to be true to you, to never waver, no matter what's going on in this world, and to be concerned not only about other people in our community, in our congregation, but even other congregations elsewhere and uh, that, that have need. And uh, we thank you in Messiah's name. Amen.